relative to the length of this life, uh, which so far is, uh, I'm, I've just entered my 60th year, I've just turned 59. So relative to the length of this life, I've been practicing meditation for a long time. And uh, I've had a lot of moments of, of mindful attention. I've had lots and lots of different uh, meditative experiences, uh, I'm exotic and ordinary. And you would think that after all these years of meditation, I would have unbroken mindfulness, seamless awareness, but I have to admit, tonight I am hungover. <laughs> Not hungover from uh, drugs and alcohol, but really hungover from the, from the drug of wanting things to turn out a certain way. And it's funny, I was thinking about it while I was sitting, and then I looked down at my, this little pamphlet that was, that was given out at a benefit for... Uh, benefit for Ramdas. There was a Ramdas, Baba Ramdas. Many of you know, really a, a central person in the in the proliferation of Dharma in the West was Ramdas. Well, he had a stroke many years ago, and Spirit Rock provided a big benefit for his support. And I got this little pamphlet, and I was looking at it, and the first line of the of the teachings from the uh, third Zen patriarch are the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the slightest or smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. (laughs) (laughs) To set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. When the deep meaning of things is not understood, the mind's essential peace is is disturbed to no avail. Now, how do we square this very deep teaching uh, with the reality that that uh, we all have preferences, we all have likes and dislikes, views and opinions. Last week, I think I went through the four great attachments, and one of the four great attachments is views and opinions, and and we all have preferences. I want certain candidates to win. I want certain baseball teams to win. I've, those are the last two weeks where the the two biggest sports going on right now. So they, and it's quite natural for me to, as a uh, person who was raised in this culture, to, uh, to become somewhat affected by the competitive atmosphere. And I was a competitive athlete in my uh, younger years. And but even though it, even though I'm, I don't. Uh, competition is not, it's not it doesn't drive my life in any. Anyway, at this point, in terms of my own personal activities, I still like my teams to win. 
I like my candidates to win, and, I, and it's just conditioning. Yet this conditioning has, a, has both, uh, just as all sensual experience has, it has its pleasures, and as the Buddha recommended, that we don't simply stop at noticing its pleasures, but noticing its defects or its dangers. Its defects or, and dangers is that we become, uh, we become contracted. We become hostage to how things turn out. And our whole vital energy system, I, I'll just speak for myself, my whole vital energy system, in spite of a lot of moments of mindfulness, even aware of what was happening over the last few weeks, my vital energy system got a little bit diminished by the tension of being on the hook for how things turned out. And this is, uh, this is part of our conditioning, just a simple example of when there's clinging, there's suffering. When there is letting go, there's freedom. And I forgot the third, the third thing that the Buddha suggested. We notice the pleasure of being, having our well-being tethered to, to uh, getting what we want or sense pleasures, the pleasure of it, the defects meaning when you're in a state of, of dependency, you're in a state of suspended happiness. You're in a state of, uh, you're actually reinforcing the sense that you cannot be completely at ease and happy right now. That's the trance that our mind enters into. So there's defects. Plus, whenever your team wins or your candidate wins, there is this great sense of relief for a moment. But the wake of that experience, the seed has been planted for to get just as plugged in, just as triggered, just as dependent the next time, the next game. And on and on, around the wheel of, of the wheel of dissatisfaction, our mind, our heart goes. So this is the defects. And then the Buddha said, there, the third thing that we need to know about this world of the senses is the freedom, freedom from these. Not freedom from having sensual experience, but freedom from that dependency. We need to know what it's like to not have our well-being dependent on how things turn out. And that's really easy to miss because we feel so satisfied when the, the desire goes away, when the team wins, the person wins, or even if they lose, the team loses, we feel a little sad for a while, but there's a cessation of you're no longer on the hook. At least you've... It's turned out the way it turned out. But all of that time, all of those mind moments, while many people are anticipating how things will work out, all those mind moments are mind moments where the, our whole vital energy system becomes, um, becomes uh, tight. Heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. We've lost a sense of great wholeness and ease and balance. We've begun to think, I'll just speak for myself again, I've begun to think in these moments that uh, unless it turns out the way I want it to, I can't be happy. Any of you ever have those kinds of thoughts? 
This is the trick of the mind. Setting up what we like, I'll read it once more. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. To set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. When the deep meaning of things is not understood, the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. So he's reminding us here that the mind's, you could say, essential nature is peace. The very essence of what all of us want when things work out or the end of the rainbow, what we all want is the very nature of our mind. And that that, that natural peace, I gave you the Doshul Ken quote at the beginning tonight, rest in natural great peace, that natural peace is obscured by this, um, by having set up what we uh, want versus what we don't want or what we like versus what we don't like. And this is the disease of the mind. This is the obscuration, or this is what clouds the, um, the open secret that uh, our mind's nature, your mind's nature, here in this very room, its essence is peace, is clarity, is, is wakefulness, is pure awareness uncreated, unborn, timeless. You are, you're that. And when you recognize that, all your desires are fulfilled. Everything is granted. Nothing's missing. And you haven't gone anywhere. But this essential piece is easily, easily Missed. It's easily lost, easily forgotten in the midst of our um, competition. So I feel the effects of having gotten once again, somewhat enjoyably, but somewhat <laughs> tensely absorbed in, in the various um, competitions that are going on. <laughs> And it, I really noticed it tonight. My whole energy, my whole nervous system feels as though I've, I've just come off of a, a bad trip. <laughs> and I'm happy to be back. And so I'm humbled by, by the fact that I can easily fall into delusion. I'm, I may be over-dramatizing, but I think I'm just trying to make a point, too. So is it possible, is it possible to enjoy the world of, of the senses, enjoy the competition, and yet uh, not forget, not forget, not forget this essential peace, be guided continually by this essential peace? 
be able to, even in the midst of a, um, a debate, be able to realize that you have everything. That you are, in spite of the, the feeling that you are uh, impoverished now, impoverished by, by that hunger for things to work out in a certain way, in spite of that feeling of being impoverished, you are, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, you're the richest person on earth. In spite of that, can you, can you do that? I was noodling today about, um, about the various things that I, have been on my mind. I was walking through a place where I had just taken a... Uh, during my lunch hour, I often go swimming, swam some laps. And all of a sudden, I noticed that uh, I was walking. <laughs> I just, mindfulness arose. There was clear comprehension of the context. I was walking through this building and down some stairs. And for a moment, my mind and my body came together, and I just felt the steps one after another. And I realized, to some degree, for the first time in a few days... I was truly, just, just in that simple experience, I was truly happy. Now, I didn't gain, there was nothing gained in that experience. There was nothing, I didn't, I hadn't just gone shopping or something. <laughs> I hadn't, uh, I hadn't just, I had gone swimming. There, there is something to that. But it was really just the simple sense of being in the here and now, simply in a state of knowing. And I started to think about, you can see that when you're present, you can still think about things. It doesn't mean that you thinking stops. In fact, sometimes your thoughts will reflect what it is that you're realizing. So that's one of the ways that we metabolize a realization is we we reflect on it a little bit. Well, my reflection was a, re- a memory of the of this tribe in in Africa. I think they're called the Lingala or something, where they didn't they had only two words for time: now and not now. No past, present, future. None of this. All this. Speculation. It was very similar to the Mokan tribe in Burma that I've talked about that didn't have any word for uh, when. They had no when. And they had no word for want, which often then is very closely tied to when. So in that moment, I realized this is now. And the difference between now and not now is the difference between knowing, just being simply, mindfully present. That's now. If you're clearly comprehending what it is that's happening, that's now. You can't do that any other time. And when you're not clearly comprehending, when you're absorbed, when you're caught in your imagination, that's not now. I mean, it's happening now, but you don't know it. 
you are, to some degree, at least your mind is in some way clouded by the concept of time. You've just created in your mind the concept of past, concept of present, the concept of future. And the sense of being, of knowing, the sense of being now is obscured. And waking up to now, I know that I say this every week, is a, it's as though the lights have come on. And I don't know if we, it's so illuminating, it's so liberating, just to, in a simple way, know that I'm here. All of a sudden, whatever it is that I was, I was absorbed in is now, it's now just a memory. Whatever I was caught in, any kind of idea of myself, any kind of ego, is, reveals itself as just an illusion, just as a story, as non-existent. There is no ego there. There's just the pure knowing of walking down the steps. No me, no you, no self at all. Just walking down the steps. And this is this simple moment of noticing I have come out of the narrow little world of myself, which is just a story, into the wider gravitational field of, of consciousness or dharma or wakefulness or mindfulness. Lots of space here. Lots of room. My mind then is able to see that it's not just limited to the, the imagined space between my ears. There's lots of room. I can see. I can hear. I can feel. Whatever it is that I'm experiencing, I know that it's just hap- there's just that one moment. And I can work with that, even if it's pure misery in that moment. There are those moments that are absolutely miserable. I was thinking, the reason I thought of pure misery is my friend who was, who was sick for eight months. I talked about him here, Hanuman, eight months. He said there, it was pure misery. But he, did, he didn't forget, though. He didn't forget that, that, you could say, that pure awareness. He didn't forget that, that simple, pure presence. That didn't always make his moments pleasant, but being able to be aware made them, took the extra, the extra clinging, the extra pain, the extra suffering out of the simple reality of what was happening. There was really very little space. And I know when people suffer great losses, have intense injuries, intense illnesses, incredible frustration in relationships or not in relationships. There is a sense of, of, of misery. But the capacity to work with all of that is, um, is affected so deeply by whether or not there is... Um, 
mindfulness and clear comprehension, or whether we're just absorbed. And I find that having that little light, that little space of awareness to know what's happening, even when it's unpleasant, makes it, makes, gives it room. It gives that, that cow a big pasture. It gives, the, it gives that monkey mind lots of room to move around. And in that moment, it is impossible to add to the misery if it's being whatever it is, whatever I'm experiencing is held in the womb of awareness. And normally, usually, if I've sustained that awareness for any length of time, the most miserable experiences will be transformed into at least or the cause of compassion. Kindness. But in order for that to happen, I have to have, I have to develop that capacity to sustain that, um, that awareness. And that's why we practice. That's why we make it a habit. Is so that it pops up on its own and it stays there. Even when we're, even when we're really, really struggling. It's a reminder again, remember, the basic dukkha dukkha, the basic dissatisfaction, lots of misery in life. It's inevitable if you're born. But the suffering, the mental suffering about that, the added suffering is caused by clinging, by being in delusion, by being unmindful, by wanting things to be different than the way they are, being in a state of reactivity. Mindfulness erases moment by moment the conditioning of grasping, condemning, and identification or confusion. So I know, I have a feeling, if you're really present right now, if you're really in tune with your body sitting here on the cushion or you're listening or you're sensing, whatever it is, that in the moments that you're just here with me, with each other, you cannot be. Um, you can't be suffering as much as when you weren't mindful. But in order to gain any kind of faith, any kind of confidence, uh, you have to really see how, see what your capacity is, see how See what really happens if you practice as much as you can continual mindfulness. Now, just as I confess my delusions tonight, you'll still fall into delusion. <laughs> you'll still, you'll still, things will still fall apart. But uh, as Sri Nisargadatta says, if, the, um, if you keep practicing, eventually all bonds will break. Grasping and attachment will end, and your life will become uh, passionately or intensely concentrated in the present moment. And you will, as the first part of his passage say, you will discover when your mind is free of its preoccupations uh, that there is a light, and you are that light. It's a light and a love you've never known, yet you recognize it as your own 
natural state, your own essential peace. Not your own in terms of personal, but your innermost nature is peace. So we practice every day so we don't overlook this vital point, so we can come out of the tangle of our constrictions, our suspended happiness, our postponement, our, our conditions for what has to happen in order to be happy. We come out of that so that we can, not just for once in our life, but on an ongoing basis, be available to this world, available to each other. Because it's, uh, it's a shame to feel so isolated. And we don't have to. It's really a split second away, being connected, being with. Not just me, not just mine, but we. Just echoing the encouragement to be mindfully present. Sorry, weekly topic. You notice it's the same Dharma talk in different words. This is called In the Moment by Billy Collins. It was a day in June, all lawn and sky, the kind that gives you no choice but to unbutton your shirt, sit outside in a rough wooden chair. And if a glass of iced tea, and if a glass of iced tea and a volume of 17th century poetry with a dark blue cover are available, then the picture can hardly be improved. I remember a fly kept landing on my wrist, and two black butterflies in white and red-winged dots bobbed around my head in the bright air. I could feel the day offering itself to me, and I wanted nothing more than to be in the moment. But which moment? Not that one, or that one or that one, or any of those that were scuttling by seemed perfectly right to me. Plus, I was too knotted up with questions about the past and, this tall, and his tall, evasive sister, the future. What churchyard held the bones of George Herbert? Why did John Donne's wife die so young? And more pressingly, what could we serve the vegetarian twins who were coming to dinner that evening? Who knew what they would bring, that they would bring their, their own grapes? And why was the driver of that pickup flying down the road toward the lone railroad track? And so the priceless moments of the day were squandered one by one, or more likely a thousand at a time, with quandary and pointless interrogation. All I wanted was to be a pea of being inside the green pot of time. But that was not going to happen today, I had to admit to myself. As I closed the book on the face of Thomas Traherne and returned to the house where I lit a flame under a pot full of floating brown eggs, and while they cooked in their bubbles, I stared into a small oval mirror near the sink to see if that crazy glass had anything special to tell me today. 
how it's universal to squander away our moments, but that's why we swim against the stream of this very deeply conditioned human habit so that we actually can enjoy this life, really take it in, all sky and what was the word? All lawn and sky. So I think I'll close. I'd love to hear a little bit from you, but I'd like to add, uh, since I quoted Noshul Ken Rinpoche, I'd like to share one of his other poems on mindfulness. And this has some very graphic language, so brace yourselves. <laughs> Homage to the sovereign within, self-arising mindfulness. I'm the Vajra of mindfulness. Look, friends, when, see- when seeing me, please be mindful or be mindful. I'm the mirror of mindfulness. I mirror your careful attention. Look clearly and see into the essence of mind. Mindfulness is the root of the Dharma. Mindfulness is the body of the practice. Mindfulness is the fortress of the mind. Mindfulness is the friend of spontaneously aware wisdom. Mindfulness is a support for all the traditions. Lack of mindfulness will allow the negative forces to overcome you. Without mindfulness, you will be swept away by laziness. Lack of mindfulness is the creator of evil deeds. Lack of mindfulness can accomplish nothing. Lack of mindfulness is a pile of shit. Without mindfulness, you will sleep in an ocean of piss. Without mindfulness, you are a heartful corpse, heartless corpse. Friends, please be mindful. <laughs> By the aspiration of the lamas, the buddhas, the bodhisattvas, all the lineage holders, may all friends attain stable mindfulness. His final little autobiography. These words were composed by the stupid ox with the buck teeth, the bad monk Jam Yang Dorje, and offered to his friends with the eyes of the Dharma. Please be mindful. So anything else that you would like to speak about this evening? Any questions? Any comments? Descriptions? Please. Well, I think this, in order to, I think what he's saying, I'll repeat the question. How does having no preferences square with uh, wanting all beings to be happy? Think when they are, when the third Zen patriarch is talking about having no no preferences, in order for us to actually taste, realize the essential nature of the mind, the essential peace, we have to, for a moment, we cannot be holding on to our preferences, even for the happiness of all beings. We have to not set for at least one moment in the span of our life, not set up what we like against what we don't like. And if we are able to suspend those preferences, 
we will realize the essential peace. And then it's quite natural to, to want everyone to have that. And that's what, act, that's what flows from, from peace, is the desire for everyone to have peace. So that's just the, the natural state. And as far as all kinds of other preferences, we all, we all want, we have preferences for peace, for one person to win, one team to win. But if we continually live in that loop, then the essential peace of our mind is obscured. So I, I like to suggest, and the Dharma suggests, that you do first things first. Find the essential peace. And then see, and then if you really, really touch into that, you, you won't wander as long confused in, um, in that state of, of, um, of waiting, that state of hoping, that state of not being able to be well until, until so-and-so wins. But of course you're going to have preferences. So it's not, we always have to take these teachings, this particular teaching points to the desire for everyone to taste um, the deepest potential of happiness in our lives, the deepest, um, the deepest sense of connection with life. That's what we long for most deeply, that sense of home. And as long as we're caught in our preferences, it's really hard to find home, even though it's a split second away. Never left it. That's the tragedy, really, is that we can literally wander a long time confused. Here's from the Zen teacher, Hakuin. All beings by nature are Buddha, which means wakefulness, essential peace. All beings by nature are Buddha, as ice by nature is water. Apart from water, there's no ice. Apart from beings, no Buddha. How sad that people ignore the near and search for the truth afar. Like someone in the midst of water crying out in thirst, or a child of a wealthy home wandering among the poor. Lost on dark paths of ignorance, we wander through the six worlds from dark path to dark path, When shall we be freed from this cycle of birth and death, moment by moment? O meditation, to this the highest praise. Devotion, training, many perfections, all have their source in meditation. To those who meditate even once, they wipe away beginningless crimes. Where are all the dark paths then? The pure land itself is near. Those who hear this truth even once and listen with a grateful heart, treasuring it, revering it, gain blessings without end. Much more, those who turn about and bear witness to self-nature, self-nature that is no nature, go far beyond any doctrine. Here, effect and cause are the same. The way is neither two nor three. With form that is no form, going and coming, we are never astray. With thought that is no thought, ever singing and dancing are the voice, even singing and dancing are the voice of the law. How boundless and free is the sky of awareness. How bright the full moon of wisdom. Truly, is anything missing now? Nirvana is right here before our eyes, this very place, the lotus land, this very body, the Buddha.
So please don't overlook this, but I hope your team wins. (laughs) Go Giants. So let's just sit quietly for a few moments. May our practice of mindful attention and loving-kindness be the cause of happiness for ourselves and all beings. May our time together tonight be the cause for happiness, peace, safety, health, strength, ease, and well-being of all beings everywhere. May all beings know the open secret of natural great peace. May all beings be liberated. May our practice today and every day, our life, our work, everything about our life, be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. Thank you so much for letting me talk because I I kind of cured my hangover. Feel reoriented now to the vital present, so different from past and future. And uh, just a reminder, as we always do on Tuesday night, one I don't want to forget tonight to to remind you that we have this wonderful... uh, what the service directory, people who offer services here, please take advantage. Look at the service directory online or the sheet. That's uh, really helpful. Also, um, also we, it, this room costs us each week $150, and we've recently started the evening at Mission Dharma where if someone offers uh, the amount that it takes for the evening, uh, there, we have a special plaque that puts the name of that person, or you could dedicate it to someone else, or you can do it anonymously, but it's been hugely successful, and it's a joy to give if you, if you uh, can. But if you can't give for an evening at Spirit Rock, give whatever you can to the room rental Donna generosity, and also the teacher Donna. Everything here is offered freely, and the invitation is for you to, as your practice of offering freely, put some money in the basket, or offer a check to the uh, St. John the Evangelist Episcopal Church, put Mission Dharma on the memo line, and then your check will be tax deductible. And thank you so much for your practice. Thank you for your room rental, Donna. Thank you for your teacher, Donna. And uh, spread mindfulness everywhere you go. Notice your steps and everything else. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.